From the book of Proverbs, chapter 20 and verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And then the 11th verse, Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. I want to share a couple of other verses. In fact, three other verses on faithfulness with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, God is faithful. Aren't you thankful that he is? God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, I want you to note it says it's required, not just hoped for. God requires, and we're to be stewards of the word of God, and so God requires faithfulness from us. You know, in that day, a steward was a house manager. He was in charge of, of running the household, and his master depended upon him to be faithful, and so God expects us to be faithful. And then Luke chapter 16, verses 10 and 11, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Boy, I want to do more for God. I want God to give me an opportunity. Well, are you faithful in what you're doing right now? See, that's the way to get greater opportunity in service of God. Several years ago, I wrote an article that was titled, Love Jesus, Love the Church. And the whole gist of it is, if you love Jesus, you'll love his church. That was in response to an article that the Barner Research Group website had published, which was entitled, Meet Those Who Love Jesus but not the church. Well, you can't love the head without loving the body, right? I mean, if you love Jesus, you're going to love the Lord's churches. So I stated that that sentiment cannot be biblically sustained, that I love Jesus, but I just don't have any use for the church or going to church. The attitude is equivalent to saying something like, well, I love baseball. What team are you on? I don't want to be on any team. You know, <laughs> I just love baseball. And so that's the attitude of those who say, I love Jesus, but not the church. I don't think the Lord intended for those of us who are saved to be freelancers, just to go out in our own authority, of which we have none, and go out in our own power, of which we have none, and for personal benefit, do a bunch of work that we say is for Him, and then hope that He blesses it or whatever it may be. I want to share some statistics with you this morning. Only 63% of Americans identify as Christians today. Now folks, that's sad. That's sad in God bless America. That marks a 15 point drop in the past 14 years. In 2007, 78% of Americans called themselves Christians. So you see we're declining. The decline of Christians in the U.S. has been matched by a rise in the religiously unaffiliated their numbers almost doubled since 2007 from 16% to 29%. And those are the folks who say, I love Jesus, but I don't have anything to do with the church. Just 47% of Americans are members of a house of worship. This includes all denominations and religions and so forth. Religious membership, which was stable throughout the 20th century, fell from 70% in 2000 to 47% in 2020. You look around you and say, well, why there's so much space out here? Why there's so many empty pews? That's right. There's the reason why. Folks do not see a need 
or a reason to come together and to worship God together. Only three in ten unchurched Americans, now get this, only three in ten unchurched Americans say a Christian has shared the gospel with them. One third, less than one third actually, because one third would be three out of nine, less than one third of those people who never go to church, who aren't a member of any church, say that a Christian, quote unquote, has never shared the gospel with them. Despite openness to religious conversations and relationships with Christians, few unchurched Americans have ever had someone explain exactly how to become a Christian or why they should think about doing so. The world ought to at least know why they ought to be saved. They need to be saved. You're, without Christ, you're lost. Without Christ, you're doomed. Without Christ, you're headed to hell. Okay? And so they ought to at least know that. Only slightly more, 33% say a Christian has told them about the benefits of participating in a local church or the benefits of becoming a Christian. Folks, it's sad. I've said before, we're not doing our job. We're not doing the job the Lord gave us to do. What was the job he gave us to do? Well, go to Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. To disciple all nations. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And believers in America are not doing that. And here's the final statistic. I thought I'd just share this one with you. As far as I know right now, you don't have to worry about your pastor, okay? With pastors' well-being on the line and many on the brink of burnout, 38% indicate they have considered quitting full-time ministry within the past year. Not only are we losing members, the Lord's churches are losing pastors. And then it says this percentage rose nine full points from 29% since Barna asked the same question at the beginning of 2021. We are in a sad state in America today religiously, and I don't like that word religion, but I don't know of another word to use right at that point. We are in a sad state. Now what we're going to do this morning is we're going to get back to basics for just a moment, and we're going to see what really constitutes being, in the truest sense of the word, a Christian. And so we start out with the question, what is a Christian? I think we know what the term means, or maybe we think we know what the term means. We know when the term was first used, don't we? Can anybody tell me? Ah, quick test. Don't you like pop tests? Can anyone tell me? Pardon? Antioch. Antioch. I didn't say, well, I said where, so I guess you're right. Antioch of Syria, but I was thinking of chapter and verse in the book of Acts. Okay, <laughs> that was a real test. Acts chapter 11, verse 26, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Okay, so what does that term mean? Christian mean? Let's get down to the nitty gritty of the definition of that word. Christian means Christ-like, but listen to this, partisans of Christ. That's important. That's significant. Because you know what a partisan is? You know what the definition of that word partisan is? It indicates a fanatical allegiance to a person. You know what they were calling the believers in Antioch in those first days? Fanatics for Christ. Amen. You're just a fanatic for Christ. And they're making fun of them by doing that. Now, has anybody, and don't raise your hand, don't answer, but has anybody ever called you a fanatic for Christ? Now, if you don't know what a fanatic is, I don't know how to explain it to you, but illustrate it to you. There's some folks that are just fanatics for cleanliness, 
for a while, our dad was that way. He always, he was washing his hands. You know, he, he worked hard work. He worked with his hands. And so his, wherever he'd go, he'd wash his hands. He insisted on hands being washed. And that's a good, by the way, a good habit <laughs> to get into, especially today with COVID still hanging around and all those things. But he would just insist on washed hands. Well, that's the idea of being fanatical about something. I want it this way. It must be done this way. And so if we're fanatics for Christ, we're going to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. I said this was given to those believers in Antioch because those who were about them watched their lives. They saw the way they lived. They heard who they talked about. They observed them. And see, I've told you before, I don't call myself a Christian. I don't use that term in relation to me. I tell people I'm a believer. I'm a saved person. I'm a child of God who's doing the best he can to live for the Lord. Now, if the lost world wants to look at my life and say, you're nothing but a Christian, I'll welcome that, folks. Because that's what they did in Antioch. They looked at believers and they said, you're nothing but a fanatic for Christ. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 for just a moment. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. You know what Paul's saying right there? Be an imitator of God as children imitate their parents. Now, if you have raised children, if you have children, you know that children imitate their parents. One of the most enjoyable things I ever did was have a six, seven, and eight-year-old children's chapel. You can learn more about what goes on at home with six, seven, and eight-year-olds and talking to them and listening to them than you could, by, I think, by putting a spy camera in their house. You know, Those children tell you just about everything that's going on at home. And so Paul's just saying be an imitator of God like children imitate their parents. And he says, do it this way, by loving and living the way Jesus Christ loved and lived. That's what we're supposed to do. That's not real hard, you know. Especially if we will let him live in and through us. So a real Christian is like Christ. First of all, in relationship to God. Who was Jesus? He was the Son of God. We know him as the second person of the Trinity, the second person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the question is, do you have a relationship with God? Are you a child of God? Have you repented toward God and put your faith in Christ to be saved? There are many people today who believe in the universal fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man. I got to tell you, that's not so. God is not the father of everybody. In fact, listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil. He's talking to religious people right there, by the way. Get that. He's talking to religious people. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. A lost person only has Satan for a father. Only has the devil for a father. He will follow the will of the devil. And so this idea of the fatherhood of God for all men certainly is not true. Jesus said in, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 3, said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's got to have a new father, 
Okay? And that Father, of course, is God, is the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So first of all, do you have a father-child relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't, you need one. And how do I get that relationship? I said a moment ago, repentance. That's turning to God. Turning to God and by faith applying the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way to have that relationship with God. So a real Christian is like Christ in relationship to God, but he's like Christ in relationship to baptism also. So I knew you were going to bring that up. Well, certainly. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, you remember what happened? The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descended from heaven, and God spoke, and he said, This is my beloved Son. And then in another place, he said, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. John chapter 1, verses 32 through 34, God had told John, I'll identify him. He said this, and John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Matthew chapter 3 records the baptism of Jesus. Jesus came to John the Baptist. And Jesus said, I need to be baptized by you. Remember what John said? Oh, no, no, no. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no. Suffer it to be so now to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus was baptized not in order to be saved. Why was Jesus baptized? In his baptism, it identified him for who he was. The only begotten Son of God. You know why a child of God, a quote unquote Christian, why a saved person is baptized? To identify them with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're following the example that he said. We're saying, yes, I trust Jesus. I've trusted him. I believe him. And I'm following him in my life. So a Christian is like Christ in his relationship to God and his relationship to baptism, but also daily living. You know, Jesus was the same every day. He wasn't hot one day and cold the next. He wasn't up and down like so many, I started to say of us, I'm not going to say that, so many believers are today. One day on fire for the Lord, the next day you're burned out, right? Jesus was not that way. He prayed daily. He witnessed to the lost. He was filled with the Spirit. He had mastered the Scriptures. Of course, he wrote them through the Holy Spirit. He was kind. He was humble. He was gentle. He was good. He was meek. And that was the everyday life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't wait till Sunday and start getting good. Or he didn't wait until he felt like it to start getting good. He was forgiving. A true Christian tries to imitate Jesus Christ in his daily life as much as he possibly can. We sing a song sometimes, let others see Jesus in you, right? That's what we're supposed to do in daily living. Just going to... I always want to say Walmart, but Brother Dennis is back there. I'm going to say Albertsons, okay? On a daily basis, we go into the grocery store. We go into the hardware store. We, wherever we go, people are supposed to see Jesus in us. There is no such thing as a Sunday-only Christian, you know. There's a lot of them that claim to be, but the, I saw, a, and I don't have the nerve to put it up, but I saw a church sign that said this, Worship with us, beat the Christmas rush. I'm not quite brave enough to put that out there yet, but one of these days I may do that. 
But there's no such thing as a Sunday-only Christian or a carnal Christian. You ever heard anybody refer to somebody as a carnal Christian? No such thing. There's a carnal believer. There's a carnal child of God. But you can't be a carnal Christian. You're either like Christ or you're not. And so he's like Christ in relationship to the Father, in relationship to God, in relationship to baptism, in relationship to daily living. And here's the one I like, in relation to the church. Jesus established his church and Jesus was a member of his church. How do you know that? Well, the head can't be off by itself and not be a part of the body. The head of this church is not your pastor. The head of this church is Jesus Christ. He better always be the head of this church. This always better be his church and not my church or your church. So he is the head of the church. By the way, he was the first pastor. Now that first church had an advantage that you don't have. You know what that is? It had a perfect pastor. I hate to spoil your, you know, I hate to burst your balloons, but you don't have a perfect pastor, okay? Tries to be as much like Jesus as he can, but you know. And think about this. If the church isn't important, why did Jesus establish it? You know, God doesn't do anything in vain. God doesn't do anything useless. God doesn't do anything to no purpose. Jesus had a purpose in establishing his New Testament church. And Jesus loves this church and loved that first church and has loved every one of his churches enough to die for those churches. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Feed the church of God which he, talking about Jesus, hath purchased with his own blood. Do we ever stop to think when we think about Bethel Baptist Church do we ever stop to think? Now, we can go back to our very beginnings. I've forgotten about how old we are this year. We're 70-something years old this year. I can't remember the exact age. We're 70-something years old. Oh, we could think back about what it cost those first folks to establish this church. and That comes nowhere close to what it costs to establish this church. For this church to be in existence, it cost the precious blood of the sinless Son of God. That's what it costs for this church and every other New Testament church to be in existence. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 we're familiar with. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus bought this church with his blood. He has paid for this church with his blood. So a Christian is like Christ in relation to the church. So a Christian is a member of a New Testament church and faithfully, note that word, faithfully serves Christ through that church. He faithfully attends the services. Now, see, the question is, did Jesus go to church faithfully? Well, I know Acts chapter 4 verse 16 says this, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He was regular in going to the synagogue. He established his church, and I know he was in church every day because his was a mobile church, and wherever he went, it went. And so Jesus was with his church on a daily basis. Let me ask you this. Would Jesus lay out of church? He doesn't, okay? I hoped I would get all no's with that. He doesn't. Jesus does not lay out of church. He is here every time we meet. We're going to meet at 6 o'clock tonight for business meeting. We're not going to live stream it. We'll meet at 6 o'clock for business meeting. Will Jesus be here? Yes, he will. I guarantee you he will. You know how I know that? He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. 
I know Jesus Christ will be here, whether it's business meeting, last Sunday night we observed the Lord's Supper. He was here, folks. He was here. He's here right now. And he is regular in attendance and faithful in attendance to his churches. And every church member ought to have the attitude that Jesus had. Where two or three are gathered together, well, if two or three are going to be there, I'm going to be there. Okay? That ought to be our attitude. Hebrews, we're familiar with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together or yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. You know what that says? The closer we get to the day, what is the day? It's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That end time event that we talk about, the closer we get to that day, the more it ought to be our desire and be in our hearts and be on our hearts that I am going to assemble together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? That ought to be our desire. That ought to be our purpose. Now, we understand there are times that we are providentially hindered. You know, last week, uh, well, Dennis's family had the flu. I told him to stay home. <laughs> I mean, he got permission from the pastor for that. He was going to anyway, right? You didn't want to bring it up here and give it to us. But I said, no, we, you know, we don't want that up here. You just keep that at home, all right? You get well, come on. We look forward to seeing you. But we know things like that. Sometimes we're out of town. Some people, it's not wrong to have a vacation. You know, Jesus went apart and rested occasionally. And so it's okay to maybe go somewhere, and then uh, come back home. But if we're here... And we're well. And there's nothing to providentially hinder us. What to be here. You know, under the law, you weren't supposed to do any servile labor on the Sabbath day, but the Lord did put a provision in there. If your ox is in a ditch, don't leave the ox in a ditch. Get him out. But some folks push their ox in a ditch so they can get him out on the Sabbath day. And some folks push their ox in a ditch so they can get him out on Sunday. And we're not supposed to do that. But if we're providentially hindered, I understand that. And the Lord understands that. So Jesus, or a Christian, is like Jesus in relation to the church. Now, I only have two points to this message. If Jesus was faithful to the church... What is a church? You know, we understand that the church is not the building. We understand that the church is the body. So many in the world see it as the building. That's why some people say, well, I'm going to church today. They mean they're going to a building. Some people are giving directions say, well, you turn right down there by the church. Well, no, if they turned right by the church and they knew what the church was, they'd have to find each and every one of us and turn right by but. They're talking about the building. Well, the building is not the church. I had a debate with a five-year-old this past week. Okay? About the difference between church and church house. Because she said, when I said something about it's the church house, she said, no, it's the church. And I tried to explain to her. I said, it's the house where the church meets. Right? She says, no, it's the church. I learned something in that debate. I'm not sure who won it, but I did learn something from it. It's best not to argue with a five-year-old. <laughs> you know, you're probably not going to make any headway. But anyway, I was trying to explain to her there's a difference between the... T now, I'm not going to get out of sorts with you if you refer to this building as the church. I know what you mean. But properly, this is the church house, and folks, this is the church. All right? 
We come together to meet together. A New Testament church is a local visible assembly of people who covenant together to carry out the work that the Lord has given us to do. And that's what we're supposed to do. Some see it as some disarranged, disorganized thing that all of the saved with really no unity sort of come together in. But the word ecclesia, which is through a series of different words as translated church in our Bibles, literally means the Lord's assembly. The Lord's assembly. So a true church must be able to come together. A true church must be able to meet on a regular basis. James chapter 2, in verses 2 through 4, James is giving instruction for how to treat people who come into the worship service. And here's what he says, when they come into your assembly. You know, he says, if you have two people come in and one's a wealthy man and one's not wealthy, he barely has proper clothing. See, back then, the front seat, and boy, it's so good to see people sitting on the front today. But back then, the front seat was the primary place to sit. And the back seat was the lower place to sit. They said, if you're wrong, if somebody comes into your assembly and they're wealthy and you give them the seats down front and somebody that's poor comes in, you seat them in the back. He said, you're judging people that way. But he talks about people coming into the assembly at Corinth on the matter of discipline. And he says, when ye are gathered together, they had to be able, that church at Corinth, to come together. Acts chapter 14, verse 27. And when they were come, now remember, Paul and Barnabas had been on a mission tour, okay? <laughs> they sent out by the church at Antioch. They have come back, and listen to what it says in verse 27. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they they did what? They gathered the church together. What church? The church at Antioch in Syria. When they had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And then one of my favorite ones, Acts chapter 11, verse 18, we talked about this just last Sunday night. Paul's talking about the observance of the Lord's Supper. And he says this, he talked about there being problems in the church and divisions in the church. And he says to that church, first of all, when ye come together in the church, that doesn't leave any room for wondering what he said, does it? I hear that there be divisions among you and I partly believe it. We can see from these verses, just these few verses, that a church must be able to come together, must be able to assemble, must be able to meet. And there's at least two aspects of a New Testament church. And I call it the church assembled and the church apart. The church assembled and the church apart. Well, what are you talking about? Well, the church apart talks about our involvement in our daily activities. See, we're not just going to all spend the night here and spend tomorrow night here and spend the next night here and the next night. We're not going to do that. What are we going to do? Well, at the end of services this morning, when the final amen is said, we're going to disperse, aren't we? We're going to separate. We're going to go our different ways. Well, will there still be a church in existence? Well, certainly. We'll come back tonight. Some will. We'll disperse. We'll meet Wednesday night. We'll disperse. And so sometimes the church is apart. And what is our responsibility apart? Whether it's recreation, whether it's work, whether it's at home, whether it's at school. What is the responsibility of the church at part? We still have a purpose, folks. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore, and quite literally that is in your going, 
everyday activity, whether it's Walmart or Albertsons, it doesn't matter. You know. <laughs> in your going, in your everyday activity, and teach or disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world or the consummation of the age. The Lord said when you go apart, go out into the world on your day-to-day -day activities, what are we supposed to be doing? You can't make a disciple out of a lost person. So we're to be telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. The key word in verse 19 is go. We're to go. You know, it's wonderful to be in here. I love the fellowship. I love each and every one of you. I look forward to Sundays. But folks, we can't sit in here until Jesus comes. We've got to be out there. Jesus said you're the salt of the earth, right? And we could talk about all the things that salt does and everything, but that, that's not the point I want to get to. We're the salt of the earth. I'm a saltaholic. You know that. I get harassed because of that. I got news for you. Salt doesn't do me a bit of good in the shaker. Okay? And this is the salt shaker in here, all right? And all the salt's in here. But you've got to have the salt on whatever you're eating. You've got to have the salt outside of the shaker if the salt is going to do any good at all. And so primary work of us as a church apart is to go into the world. And Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you shall be witnesses unto me. And we know what this entails, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. At home, in your neighborhood, reach out beyond your neighborhood into other areas, and even in places we don't want to go, and to people that we might not deem worthy of the gospel, we're to go. That's what we're to do. That's the activity of the church apart. Well, what's the activity, primary activity of the church assembled? I believe it's worship. Primary activity of the church assembled is worship, and that's what we are here to do today. Well, how do I worship God in a church service? Well, you can worship in many ways. Sing these songs of praise. Amen the preacher. Thank you, brother. <laughs> well, that, that was sort of self-serving, wasn't it? But sing these songs of praise. Listen closely and intently to the word of God as it is shared. and Just praise God and thank God in your heart and worship him in your heart. To go back to a statement that I asked a moment ago, or a question I asked a moment ago, does Jesus or would Jesus lay out of church? No, he's here every time we meet. So if he's here, is it Christ's desire to bring glory to God? I think that's an easy question to answer. Is it Christ's desire to bring glory to God? John chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus prayed this, Father, glorify thy name. Then came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. You know what we're to be doing? Glorifying the name of God. Lifting up the name of Jesus. Jesus said, now if I be lifted up, will draw all men to me. John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus prayed, I have glorified thee. He's talking to the Father. He's getting ready to go to the cross. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Jesus glorified God. And if a true believer or a true Christian is like Christ, you know what we're going to do? We're going to glorify God. Now, we know how to glorify God, but we're going to see a couple of verses. It should be the desire of every believer, every child of God to glorify Him through our daily living. Listen to the 96th Psalm. I love Psalm 96 8. It touches my heart. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Isn't that simple? 
How much glory is due to God? Thank you. I've trained you enough on that one. <laughs> you've heard that verse enough. You've heard that question enough. All glory. God is due all glory. Well, how much is all? All. Give God everything he deserves. Give him all of the glory he deserves. And then verse 9 says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. So one of the ways we give God glory is to worship him in services like this. I love it when we have, you know, sometimes, I don't know, maybe it's me, maybe it's just us, I don't know how it happens, but if, if, I hate to say this, but have you ever been in a flat service? I mean, you just go into services like, okay, <laughs> you know, you're sitting there like that, when's this preacher going to get through and all of that stuff? And it's just, I don't, again, I don't know whether it, maybe I wasn't in the right spirit. Maybe, maybe the spirit wasn't present in that church. I don't know. I don't ever want to have a service like that. I want to have a worship service where God is worshiped. And when people go out, they're not praising the preacher. They're not praising the song leader. They're not praising the musicians or the solos, whoever it may be. They're praising God and thanking God for the presence of his spirit in these services as we came together to worship God. Folks, that's my desire as your pastor and as a child of God. Hebrews 13, 7. Here's how you praise God in a worship service. By him, that's Jesus, therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. One of the ways we worship God is just by our lips. I know we can say we have, we worship God with our offerings and we do. We worship God with our presence and we do. We ought to. But we worship God with our lips. Now, I'm, this just came to mind. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. But, you know, last Sunday night I asked for a couple of volunteers to just share for a moment what the Lord's Supper means to you. And everybody was bashful. Everybody was shy. When maybe one or two could have stood and worshiped God with the fruit of their lips and said, here's what it means to me. Here's why it's important to me to observe the Lord's Supper. And here's what it does in my heart. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm really not. And God has even designated the place, and you know what verse is coming, and you ought to, where he is to receive glory. Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. We come together in this capacity. Folks, the thing that ought to happen above everything else would be to bring glory to God. And just as a sidelight, you know that he's even given us the authority to make certain decisions as long as they concur with his word and his will. Matthew 18, 18, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Matthew 16, 19, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He was saying that to his church, not to Peter, by the way. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. As a church, we have authority to set the times of our worship services. Now, Sunday ought to be a day we come together and to worship God. If we decide that we want to have other times of worship, we set aside Wednesday night. We used to call it prayer meeting. If you notice, prayer meetings, and this may be one of the problems with churches today, prayer meetings are sort of a thing of the past. What do we call it these days? Midweek services, right? Well, I wouldn't have any problem if we want to just take up all of my time on a Wednesday night praying for 
brothers and sisters in Christ, praying for the church, praying for our nation, whatever it may be, praying for the Lord's return. But we have the authority to set those times. And here's my personal belief, because whatever's bound on earth is bound in heaven. If this church said, we're going to meet at such and such a time, on such and such a day, every member of this church has a responsibility, not to me, not to the church, but to God, to be here. I believe we'll give answer for that if we don't do that. You say, you sure are a narrow-minded preacher. Well, better a narrow mind than no mind at all, you know. So, can you be considered a Christian? Can you be a Christian in the truest sense of the word and willingly, willingly forsake the assembling together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, willingly refuse to sing songs of praise to God, willingly refuse to hear a message from His word? And you know what the answer is? No. Boy, it got silent. You say, that's narrow-minded. No, I think that's Bible. Because a Christian means like Christ. Christian means a fanatic for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was daily with his church because, again, that was a mobile church. He was with them all of the time. But his desire was to glorify the Father. And he did that. He not only witnessed to the lost, he became the sacrifice for our sin. Now listen, you can't be the sacrifice for somebody's sin, but here's what you can do. You can tell them about the one who is the sacrifice for their sin. So you can be like Jesus in that. And it is because of him that we have the glad expectation of everlasting life today. And it is because of him that we can sit here and talk about the coming and say, even so, come Lord Jesus, and we can say it with glad expectation without fear because we know he's coming back. To be a Christian in the truest sense of the word is to be like Jesus, to be just like Jesus. Now I'm going to share this with you as we start to close. Just as important as our presence in the worship services of this church is the need for participation in the worship services of this church, okay? We should sing, and sing as to the Lord. Colossians 3.23, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Again, Psalm 96.8, Give unto the, the Lord the glory due unto his name. Psalm 100, verse 2. And some folks are going to like this. Psalm 100, verse 2, Serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. Gladness talks about joy, exceeding joy. Are you happy to be here today? I hope you are. Have you ever gone to a church where it looked like everybody was mad at everybody else or weaned on pickle juice, one of the two? Man, I don't like that. What it look like we enjoy being here. I'm glad God let me live today and got me out of bed this morning and let me get dressed and got to be here today. I'm glad to come together with my brothers and sisters in Christ and to go through the Sunday school class and study God's word together and come in here and sing and, and hear uh, a message from God's word. But he says, with gladness, and singing. You know what that word singing means? Very literally, it is a shout for joy. <laughs> I did that for Brother Tim and Sister Therese. They taught us to shout when we sing that word shout. And I'm thankful for it. I just can't look far enough ahead to know it's coming up to shout when it's time to shout. Okay. <laughs> but literally a shout for joy. Our singing ought to be a shout. Somebody goes, well, I can't sing. But the Bible says make a joyful noise. I mean, if you've got joy in your heart and you can get a noise to come out of your mouth, and, you know, I, 
don't know if anybody noticed, but as we came down, I turned and said something to Brother Tim. Here's what I said. I said, because I did this on the last song that we sang, I said, I sort of make up my own words as I sing, you know. Y'all know that. I, what's written in the book, oh, okay, that's fine. That's written in the book. That's for y'all, you know. What comes out of my mouth, I don't know where it comes from, but it's not what's written in the book sometimes. But at least it's a joyful noise, right? And so that's what we are supposed to do. And I know from personal experience, listen to this, I know from personal experience it is possible to be physically present in these services and at the same time be mentally and spiritually absent. We got to get here mentally, spiritually, and physically and worship God. God desires and God deserves our full attention in worship. Satan will do everything he can to distract. Everything that he can to just to cause our minds to drift away. But if we truly want to be like Christ, we'll be present to worship God when this church meets and we'll be witnesses of him in the world when we disperse and go out from this place. Like I said, I don't tell people I'm a Christian, not because I'm ashamed of it, but I don't believe I have any right to make that distinction about my life. Because you know what? We're always going to find in favor of ourselves when we do that. I can think of a whole lot of people that are not as faithful as I am, so, you know. I can think of a whole lot of people that, you know, we can name different things. But no, other people looking at me and looking at my life will say, he's a Christian or he's not a Christian. And folks, everybody, everybody who names the name of Jesus ought to so live that the world would say, you're just a fanatic for Christ, aren't you? Let's stand, please.